Today's episode of the Ringer NBA show is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected and help you handle whatever life throws your way. Unexpected like Bielita hitting a 33-footer at the buzzer to beat the Rockets last night. We'll for sure talk about that. Get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance. Today's show is also brought to you by Brilliant Earth. Create your own one-of-a-kind engagement ring with Brilliant Earth, the global leader in ethically sourced fine jewelry. Brilliant Earth's exclusive, unique designs are brought to life by master jewelers, and they offer free shipping and returns on all orders. Right now, Brilliant Earth is having a special promotion. Receive a complimentary diamond jewelry gift with any purchase over $1,000. Order today for delivery by Christmas. To take advantage of this first-time offer and see terms, go to brilliantearth.com slash ringernba. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me today, as he does every Tuesday from the Ringer.com, is Kevin O'Connor, aka Kevin O'Bomber, aka Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin Opinionated, Kevin O'Shredder, Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin. <laughs> Verno, what's going on this Tuesday morning? How you doing? Well, you wake up this morning and you find out that nothing has changed regarding the Milwaukee Bucks. They win every night. It is now 15 in a row for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Giannis had 32 points, 15 rebounds, eight assists in 34 minutes. They are 21-3, and which I believe is the same exact record as the Los Angeles Lakers right now. Kevin, what we need to happen, they have a collision course game on December 19th. It's a TNT game. We need both of them to stay undefeated until the (laughs) 19th. So that, I mean, that's not asking too much. That's a little over a week. There's a chance. There's a chance. You have New Orleans at Memphis, Cleveland, Dallas, and then that Lakers game. So Dallas being the toughest game of the next four, they're going to be 25 and three entering Lakers bucks. Crazy. Well, and they have won their last four by an average of 34 points. And those games (laughs) were against the Clippers, the Pistons, the Knicks and the Hornets. So even if you want to discount the Pistons, the Knicks and the Hornets, the Clippers game is in there. And that's part of that average where they stomped them. All right. So here's the question. This is an amazing regular season that they are having so far. Are you now, even through just the first 24 games, convinced that they are a much more formidable force when it comes playoff time? I've thought a lot about this, Chris, and I think with the Bucks and the Lakers, you have two teams on pace for 71 wins right now. Remarkable, the starts that both of them are off to. And yet, I don't feel like they are head and shoulders above everybody else as their record indicates. And that's not necessarily a knock on either of them. They're both the best teams in their respective conferences easily. I picked the Lakers to win the finals before the season, and the Bucks are even better than they were last season. Um but I don't think they're so far beyond every other team being, you know, in the East, you have Miami, Philadelphia, Boston, especially those teams, Indiana, maybe if Victor Oladipo gets back and he's healthy in Toronto, who knows? And then in the West, you still have the Clippers. Dallas could make a move. Denver, Houston remain threats. 
I don't feel like that these are unbeatable juggernauts. They are just better than everybody else, but it's not so far beyond that they are the clear-cut juggernaut favorite like we had with the Warriors or the Heatles in the past when they had LeBron James. Of those two, I would say I believe more in the Lakers, simply because you've got the track record of LeBron in the playoffs. But more than that, that they can, if you want to play half-court basketball with them, it's a real problem. And with the Bucs, that's going to be the thing. Many times when you get into the playoffs, and we don't know what all these teams are going to be structured like um, when it comes playoff time, but that whole pace and space, flying up and down the court, dropping 120 on your head, we saw that get slowed down last year and where you have to play half-court basketball. And so now Eric Bledsoe has got to play in the half-court, and Giannis is – you can – you obviously show him much more attention and you don't have wings just flying down the court, getting to their spot on the three point line and banging them down in transition, you know? So I, I think just because the the Lakers look to be the more equipped of the devastating team so far for playoff basketball and, and the, the Bucks are just going to have to prove it, but they look dynamite. That's for sure. Sure. And, and, Granted, it's just over a quarter of the season at this point, but it is worth mentioning that according to Synergy, the Milwaukee Bucks do have the second best offensive rating in the half court so far this season. Of course, to your point, Chris, they they are one of the most frequent transition offenses in the league as well. Um, So, you know, and that is something that slows down the postseason, but they're half-court offense has been dynamite so far this season. That's despite, as we talked about last week, Chris Middleton being out for quite a lot of time. He's back in the starting lineup since last Tuesday, four games in a row now, and he looks back to being his normal self. He's shooting the hell out of the ball, doing a little bit off the dribble for Milwaukee, and that's what Giannis needs in his second-best players to alleviate some of the pressure that comes from him needing to create so much offense, especially when he was out. But in the postseason, you know, this is looking far down the line here, but you would hope that Bledsoe has a minimized role and not as much as on his shoulders. You would hope that Middleton is able to, to handle even more on the ball to help complement Giannis. That's for sure. Uh, we also had last night two buzzer beaters. Bielita hit a 33-footer in Houston and then drop an F-bomb on the post game with his own hometown <laughs> announcers, which, you know, I heard as I was watching it, I heard him say it, and I was like, did he say what I thought he I was like, look, if he, if he said what I thought he said, that's going to be on Twitter in like five minutes. And sure enough, it showed up on Twitter in five minutes. But Bielita hit, this, hit a crazy shot uh, by his own words to knock off the Rockets and the Kings get a big win. And then Derrick Rose hit a mid-range shot against the Pelicans to deliver their ninth straight loss. And Joel Myers, who's their TV guy, you could hear just the utter dejection in his voice the entire call of the Rose game winner. For anybody that didn't see it, I posted that video last night, and it was... I I felt sad for him. Let's start with the Bielita thing, because it is bigger than just that one shot. I'm going to tell you, Kevin... At the beginning of the season, when they lost Fox and they lost Bagley, we both said, geez, this is this is a bridge too far. And this is, you almost feel cursed with them losing these guys. They have really held down the fort much, much better than I think anybody could have expected. And maybe in retrospect, you know, Luke Walton's whole 
we took that trip overseas. Like maybe there's some validity to it because they have not been a rat team this year and they're going to get those two guys back. And Bagley's like about to be back very, very soon. But, you know, their offseason moves of just kind of steady veterans has paid off and they've been able to get their share of wins. Definitely. And with this team, you have some journeymen carrying them like Rashawn Holmes, a favorite of the ringer yep. NBA show from our first year together in the 16, 17 season. It's nice to see him in a role where he's able to be that pick and roll guy diving to the rim, throwing down loud, ferocious thugs, playing with energy on defense, but still like I sometimes read about or hear like what happens when Bagley and Fox come back. Those guys help. Those guys help this team. They give Luke Walton another weapon to use. And with someone like Bagley, if he's able to make a leap this season and he was good as a rookie, that changes things for them in terms of what they're capable of doing in the half court because their offense has still not necessarily been any good. They still have the 20th ranked half court offense in the league. That's partially because Fox is out, partially because Bagley is out. So hopefully for the Kings, Fox and Bagley are eventually able to get back on track on the court and it doesn't screw things up, which I don't think it will. Is there any reason, Chris, to believe it would? I mean, look, it's not like they've been playing basketball where they've been on some kind of huge winning streak. And, you know, they're four and six in their last 10 games. So <laughs> there is kind of a, yeah. and, and they're, they're still three games under 500. Now they're only a game out of the eighth seed right now. But the fact that you can get, it, it's not going to screw it up. Like, what are you screwing up? You're three games under 500. (laughs) It's not like they're 16 and seven right now. They're 10 and 13. So yes, from the point is that they've been able to go 10 and 13 hover around while having their two best players. Certainly their two best building blocks for the future, unless you want to throw buddy healed in there, but they have been a totally reasonable team through the first 23 games. And I think that it was a death sentence in most people's eyes to lose both of those guys at the beginning of the season. It's hard for any team to win games after they lose two starters, especially of that magnitude. And they did. And so I think you got to give them a lot of credit. And the other thing is, you know, nobody has really differentiated themselves. You've got that top class of teams right now where you've got the Lakers who are 18 games over 500 uh, at 21 and three. Then you've got that group of the Clippers, the Mavericks and the Nuggets, the Rockets, which are all about, you know, seven to 11 games over 500. And then now that the Jazz have kind of fallen back, you have all these teams hovering and we're going to get to your trade article here in a minute but it makes this trade season so much more interesting which is going to begin uh, right around the corner because you have all of these teams packed in together it's not like you've got to make up a ton of ground i mean you go down the list i mean you better believe that uh being two and a half games out right now portland has hope you know that they're going to be a playoff team Yeah, well, in in the West, you have six teams within two and a half games of each other. For the seventh spot, Oklahoma City, Phoenix in the the eight, but then you have Sacramento, Minnesota, San Antonio, Portland, all packed closely together, and none of those teams, rightfully so, would feel like they're out of it. If you're a player or a coach on that team, it's ultimately what the front office would decide to do, and with Sacramento, 
they're a team that does want to make the postseason and they're not going to stop. Even if they end up being three or four games out by the February 7th trade deadline, their objective won't change. I think they're a team that's going to continue to try to add and build around Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley. And, and you mentioned in passing, guys haven't really differentiated themselves with those absences of Fox and Bagley. And that's true. Though one thing we are seeing is Buddy Heald is doing a bit more than he has in the past on the ball. He's shooting about 2.7 three-pointers off the dribble this season compared to only one last year, and he's shooting more threes, period. So we're seeing a greater volume from Buddy Heald, and that's something that I think can only be helped when Fox comes back because instead of him having to create for himself a bit more, he'll have Fox creating for him. But other than that, though, this team is pretty much the same in terms of how they're playing. And I think that makes them interesting for if they were to decide to add a piece or or trade assets to add a piece. Because it seems like these guys can slide around into different roles and there's space to add somebody else and not affect how things are happening. And that's why I feel optimistic Fox and Bagley wouldn't change things, never mind the fact, like you said, it's not like they've been awesome. <laughs> they've been okay. And here's the super crazy thing, Kev. You talk about these teams being two and a half games, uh, you know, apart. You can go all the way down to, I mentioned Derrick Rose hitting that shot. You can go all the way down to the Pelicans. They've lost nine games in a row, Kevin, and it looks as bleak as possible. They're five and a half games out of the eight seed. You know, if you get, like, even them, if you get Zion back and somehow can at some point get on a, you know, win nine of 10, which may be mega far-fetched, but all I'm saying is, usually, even at this point, if you're in second to last place in the Western Conference, you have no hope. You're punting. You know, you're deciding what you're going to do the last, you know, three quarters of a season, whereas they're only... Five and a half games out of the playoffs, for God's sake. They lost nine games in a row, <laughs> and, they're, and they're five and a half games out of the playoffs. I don't, I, I can't believe it, but there is intense parity throughout the Western Conference, which uh, one other thing from last night, John Morant made his return, was unbelievable in Golden State, and was all over the internet with some of the highlights. I obviously see him all the time, but I'm interested in your perspective on this. Zion's been out. R.J. Barrett's been on the worst team in the league. So those are the top three picks. It feels like the Miami guys probably have gotten the most rookie love, Hero, and then before that, Kendrick Nunn. Who else would you put up there in terms of rookie class through the first quarter of the season? Because it feels like as long as Morant can stay healthy, the award will be his to lose. But throughout the league, who else would you put up there that deserves to be mentioned amongst that high class since we don't have Zion and since RJ has been on this such, such a bad team. I think if you're doing your, your all-rookie teams after a quarter of the season, obviously Ja, as you just said, beyond that, in the top 10, Rui Hachimura from the Washington Wizards, who's good been one. pretty good. Uh, you know, He's yeah. had some bad moments with decision-making, but overall, I'm, I'm impressed. And, and then P.J. Washington, another lottery pick. Tyler Hero, another one. And then outside the lottery, I think you got to look at Matisse Thibel and Brandon Clark and Kendrick Dung, who you are already mentioned. Other than that, I, I think you're really well, reaching. Well, you know what? 
The other one that deserves to be mentioned, who, yes, his team has the worst record in the West, and he was no good last night, but Eric Paschal. Yeah, in the second sure. round, yes. When, once yes. he gets to that point, Eric Paschal for sure. Yep. He, he deserves to be uh, mentioned up there. And then there have been some other ones, P.J. Washington and Charlotte. Um, oh, yeah, I mentioned him. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, done some yep. stuff. Uh, Terrence Davis with Toronto. Exactly, yep. You, then, then you're getting to the second round, undrafted guys, and... That says a lot that that you're talking about Terrence Davis and not about a DeAndre Hunter or a, a Jarrett Culver and being in that conversation. The first round so far this year, and Grant, again, it's just a quarter of the season. Let's like nobody, no fan should overreact to the slow starts here, but they are slow starts for no, well, some a lot of these, of these, some young of these other guys. You can start to see recently that some of these other guys could could have big second halves, whether it's a Jarrett Culver, a Cam Reddish, Jackson Hayes, who's now getting some minutes for the Pelicans. Like some of those guys could end up having some big second halves and are at least coming along. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. Or, or I mean, even guys who have been just fine. I think Cam Johnson from Phoenix has been okay. Grant Williams from Boston has been really good on defense for a rookie. He's made good decisions. He just hasn't been able to hit shots. And if somebody like him can start hitting shots, then he gets into that conversation as well. One of the teams that I mentioned in passing that I do want to get to before we get to all the trade stuff is the Jazz. And I got way down that list of the in the standings before I got to them. They now stand at two games over 500 through the first 24 games. Uh, they would be the sixth seed if the playoffs were going today. And there is a two-and-a-half game difference between they and the Houston Rockets and the Denver Nuggets who are ahead of them. They are four and six in their last 10 games and just have not looked like the team that we thought they were going to be. Um, They were kind of that team. You remember at the beginning of the season, I said, you know, everybody says, oh, well, everybody forgot that the Jazz, you know, they they should be one of the Western Conference, you know, finalist favorites. And, and they kind of became the team that everybody said nobody was talking about, but really people were talking about. And that's how I got into the Denver Nuggets conversation, like that that's actually the team that people are talking about. Um, But you see the Jazz the other night, I mean, good grief, man. They, they, they lose by 14 to the Thunder, Dennis Schroeder comes off the bench and kills them, and they have just been way out of sorts, uh, have the Jazz. What do you make of what's happened the first 24 games for them? I just wonder what you do. Um, Conley, before he was out, didn't look like himself, as we've discussed. They're not better without Conley, still having the same exact issues that they had prior. I'm not sure what the move is, and in my trade article, I didn't even mention them once. Um, I haven't heard anything about what they'll do next, but I, I don't know what you do here. Do you flip Dante Exum's $10 million salary with assets? And what do you get for that that helps you? There, there's not a ton out there. I'm not sure exactly what this team is missing. You still look at them on paper, and they still look like a team that be, should be highly successful. They have the, the best defensive center in the league, and Rudy Gobert. They have a, a, a strong backcourt with Mitchell and Conley. They have versatile wings. Royce O'Neal, a, a terrific defensive player who can hit spot-up threes. Joe Ingles, who is a playmaker, knocks down threes. Boyan Bogdanovich, who is a versatile scoring forward. You have some good bench players. I mean, say what you want about Jeff Green, but he's at least solid. You have Niang, who's a solid player. You have Ed Davis. I mean, come on. Like, the team is good on paper. I'm not sure what's exactly wrong. Well, Green, 
has been miserable. Ingles has been miserable. Moutier has been miserable. Exum, as you mentioned. Royce O'Neal. Royce O'Neal has an 8.8 PER right now. I mean, that is, that's unbelievable. Um, Ed Davis, who, you know, I was a huge fan of that signing. He's only played 12 games, but I mean, he's been terrible. They have just, I mean, once you get past, you know, Conley, like we said last week, he has to be great. And he has played the worst he has ever played since he was the first couple of years in the league. He has to be great because that capped him out, you know, taking on that contract. That's one of those where when you trade for Conley and he's got that contract, he has got to be awesome for you. And he has not been because you don't have enough money to to do anything else, right? Like you talked about that stuff that they could move. Who wants that stuff? These guys have all been so bad. They have no trade value. Well, yeah, to me. I mean, I, I think Exum, he's worth $9.6 million this season and next season. That, that's at least a theoretically tradable contract. What? Not if anybody's watched him play. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying as a contract filler, $9.6 yeah. million. You're, that's not the asset you're giving up. You're giving yeah. up picks. You're, right. you're, you're giving up something of value, but... Other than that, I'm, you can't trade Bogdanovich. He's a player that you want to be a successor. You can't trade Joe Ingles. He's a guy that that is important to your team. You don't really have any other high-value salaries in that $10 million range that you can use for someone who's slightly more expensive or somebody slightly cheaper. They don't have a lot of versatility in that department. And that's that's where maybe what it just comes down to is what you touched on. Guys are just underperforming so far this season. Maybe it's wow. just simply and guys just need to be better. Like this team is turning the ball over at a rate far higher than they have in the past. That is something that could potentially be due to a lack of chemistry. But then again, last season, they turned the ball over a lot too, and they still excelled. Uh, listen, I'll talk to you about, the, you know, you know, I have the theory, right? How many guys do you play that suck? And their bench has sucked, all of them, you know? I mean, once you get past... It's four guys and the fourth one. The only three players that have been really good for them are Mitchell Bogdanovich and Gobert. So if Conley's not good, I mean, then you get past that and it's just a disaster, really. And that's the trade-off, right? When you try to get a star for depth, you know, so they don't have Derek Favors and Jay Crowder and Grayson Allen and all the uh, Kyle Korver, all the guys that they had last year that made up their depth. You know, the trade-off is, okay, well, that depth better be made up for by the awesome play of the star, and Conley has certainly not been that, but he has a track record of being a fantastic player in the NBA, so I've got to believe he's going to get it on track, but I will tell you that I, unless they change their bench, I do not believe in them as the Western Conference Finals contender anymore. How much of this is due to a lack of having energy guys? Think about that team last year. Yeah. They had Crowder, Favors, Rubio. Well, and, and those guys are gone. They all brought energy players. consistently. Role players. Every team has a good mix. Somebody's got to be the guy that doesn't shoot. Somebody's got to be the guy that does all the dirty work. Somebody's got to be the guy that, right? Like, and who's the role player of those guys that I mentioned? Who's the guy that's just going down and keeping the ball moving? Even those guys off the bench, those are guys that have the ball in their hands. Jeff Green and Emmanuel Moutier and Joe Ingles. And you know, who is the guy that just keeps the ball moving, that sets the screens, that 
goes and, and just defends and then goes and stands in the corner to stretch out the defense. Like, they don't have that. You know, it's this is a it's a chemistry thing. All great teams have role sure. players, and yeah. they got rid of all their role players. And that's one big difference on the offensive end this season compared to last season. Last year, they were sixth in the league in passes made per game. This year, I believe they're 20th. Significant drop off when consistently they've been near the top of the league and passes made per game. And like, you don't even need the number to see that. You watch the games, the ball is a lot more stagnant this season than it has been in the past. Uh, but it's not just the on ball movement, though, either. I, I think their lack of off ball movement is notable as well. And how much of that is due to Quinn Snyder changing the system versus how much of it is simply that these players don't have chemistry and don't know where yeah. and when to be in the floor. It, it seems like what we're talking about here, Chris, is it's more than one thing. And that's ultimately the concern here. It's a lack of energy guys who are bringing effort even when things aren't going well. It's a lack of familiarity and chemistry on the offensive end. And perhaps there's some system changes that are causing that or, or at least attached to that that's causing their issues on the offensive end of the floor. Cause this looks like a drastically different team than we've seen the past couple years when they've been that gritty ball movement team. That's been a lot of fun to watch and has been a tough out for any opponent this year. They're just not, they don't resemble that one bit at all. You just have to have role players. You do. You have to, they keep the ball moving, you know, like there has to be, the Draymond Greens and the Iguodalas, right? That's on like the highest level. But you go to any team throughout NBA history that was really, really good, and it's not a bunch of stars. It, that's the it's the it's the proper combination of stars and role players. But I thought this team had that entering the year, and either Royce I o Royce O'Neal is a role player, Ed Davis is a role player, but that's not what Jeff Green and Moutier, and it's been a very, it's been a huge struggle for Ingles. You know, that it's not what those guys are. Like, you know, you know, Crowder is, you know, that Derek Favors is. Like, those guys didn't need the ball. They, they took what? How many shots a game? Less than 10, you know? And you keep the ball moving. And that the stars are the stars. And when everybody needs the ball and like the best thing they do is scoring, that's tough. That's tough. My main thought with Utah, um, almost aside from basketball, it's just feeling is I, I used to love watching this team and I hate watching this team now. It's just painful to watch them. And, th and that's yeah. sad. And I hope they can get it fixed. It's because it feels like it's your turn. You know what I'm saying? Because like now Bogdanovich has got the ball. Yeah. So now it's his turn to run the pick sure. and roll. And now yep. it's Conley's turn to run the pick and roll. And now it's Ingles' turn to run the pick and roll. And here's Donovan again. And so it's like, now, equal opportunity, but it's my turn instead of everybody just flinging the ball around to each other to get an open shot. Anyways, enough on them. We've got to get into your article, which was an early primer for NBA trade season. I love this. We'll do that after these words. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Roman. With two-thirds of guys experiencing noticeable hair loss by age 35, most guys assume losing their hair is inevitable as they age. Some don't care, some shave their heads, some embrace hats. What they don't know is that there are FDA-approved medications designed to stop hair loss and even regrow hair. That's why we're excited to partner with our sponsor, Roman. 
Roman makes it easy to get safe, FDA-approved hair loss treatment all from your phone or computer. And when you go to GetRoman.com slash RingerNBA, your online visit is free. Consult with a U.S. licensed physician through their secure online platform. No awkward conversations with receptionists or reading bad magazines in waiting rooms. Once your doctor ensures that treatment will be safe and effective for you, Roman's dedicated pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping in discreet packaging. If you're noticing unwanted hair loss, starting treatment early is key and Roman can help. And today, Roman is giving the Ringer NBA show listeners a free online visit at GetRoman.com slash RingerNBA. That's GetRoman.com slash RingerNBA for a free visit to get started. Go to GetRoman.com slash RingerNBA. Today's Ringer NBA show also brought to you by Google Assistant. If you're listening to this podcast, it's safe to say you're an NBA fan. So you should definitely be listening to the Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast. Bill Simmons' new podcast breaking down the NBA's most important games, players, and teams, extending and reinventing his New York Times number one best-selling book from 2009. Playing off the NBA's dramatic changes during the past decade, Bill uses new commentary and fresh interviews with players and top media members to determine how the league has evolved and where it's headed. And remember, you can just say, hey, Google, play Book of Basketball 2.0 podcast. All right, here's the latest episode of Book of Basketball 2.0, Dirk's Game 7 Breakthrough in the Decade's Greatest Series, Spurs Mavs, 2006 Bob Rewatchables with Mark Stein, Book of Basketball 2.0. Hey Google, pause podcast. All right, Kevin, so we got to get into this article you wrote. Oh, Oh, wait, before we get into the article, I do want to mention this is all too late. Isaac Lee is with us today, Kevin. Isaac. <laughs> he could not stay away from us. He missed us so badly. But yeah. frankly, after Lin-Manuel Miranda tweeted him, I feared that I would never hear from him again. <laughs> I figured that the fame had gotten to his head, that he had fancied himself as a singer that no longer needed the dregs of society like you and I. But I am happy to say that Isaac is with us and still does acknowledge us, though he was acknowledged by <laughs> Lynn Manuel Miranda. Was that the? I mean, that has to be like a top five thing that's Oof. ever happened. Yeah, um, for sure. It's certainly, social media wise. For me personally, yeah, it's it's yes. definitely one of the highlights of I guess my life. He loved Dear Baby Yoda. He loved yeah. it. It's up there with the Clippers getting Kawhi and Paul George. I'll say that much. <laughs> uh, Isaac, Isaac, I remember you first told me and uh, the ringers, Sean, you about the idea. And I'm like, geez, this is, I don't even know any Hamilton really. And I'm like, this is genius because you're crossing two hyper crazy fan bases together with one beautifully sung song by right. you and Jason Gallagher. And boy, like still, despite feeling like this is going to be awesome, it's somehow far exceeded any expectations uh, that I could have had in that moment in terms of uh, how well it was done, but also the response online. So that was so, so damn awesome to see. Dear Baby Yoda is a banger. It is a banger. I turned it up in my car as I'm going down the street. Oh, my God. Who filmed that, Isaac? That was uh, Richie Bozik, one of our great video producers here. Richie did awesome on that. It was it was so well done in, in every in every single department. For those unfamiliar with what we're talking about, go just uh, go to YouTube and look up Dear Baby Yoda, which the uh, 
writer and creator of Hamilton himself, Lin-Manuel Miranda, gave his blessing. Uh, (laughs) All right, Kevin, let's get to this article. The early primer for NBA trade season. One of the teams you start off with is the Minnesota Timberwolves. And they're in an interesting position because of their place in the standings and trying to figure out whether or not they would be a buyer or seller. But you mentioned Robert Covington. And Robert Covington is exactly the kind of guy that teams do look for. Like when I was talking about, hey, you need a role player, Robert Covington's not going to have some kind of incredibly high usage rate. He does what he does. He defends, he plays with energy, he shoots threes. He'd actually be perfect for the aforementioned jazz, Kev. Um, but what do you do with Covington? Because you kind of, I don't want to say rode the fence on this, but it is it is an interesting proposition. Do you keep Covington because he's a good piece to have, a foundational piece, and he's part of what you want to build around in Minnesota? Or do you look out there and say, this is the kind of guy that can probably get more, we can get more return for than what he is going to bring to the table for us, given his place in his career versus our two young budding stars. So what do we think on Covington? Do you think he would? Do you think people would give a huge return for him? So you're right. I did ride the fence in the article, I think because I wasn't trying to interject my opinion on what these teams should do. But I think with Robert Covington, just to give some background on that, a handful of executives I've talked to around the league all believe that if things continue going south for Minnesota, they will heavily shop Covington. And they've already had conversations about Covington, should that happen. And with that said, I think it's a no-brainer for Minnesota to explore trading him because with Carl Towns signed until the 23-24 season, you have time. You have time here. You don't need to rush things now. Covington turns 29 in December. He'll be 31 when his contract is up in 21-22. I think the fact he has two years and change left on his contract and is still a really, really high level three and D player in a league right now. Quite frankly, there's so few impact players available because teams are trying to win. They're pushing for the postseason. So if, if everybody's zigging and if you're Minnesota, you can zag and Covington becomes the best player available on the trade market or one of the best players in the trade market. I think you can get a really strong return here that sets you up to hopefully maximize year three, four, and five of that town's contract rather than right now. There's no rush for Minnesota, and I think they can get quite a lot for him in return that makes it worth it to, to do a deal. Well, and you think about this, they, you know, they've got new management, and wouldn't you figure that they would look – everybody wants their own team that they built. And so if you're Gerson Rosas, you look at this and you say, okay, like that you, you already saw part of the Jimmy Butler trade get moved, which he got amazing return for. Like that's because of the goofy sons, but what do you get? What, what was Culver? Six? Six pick. Yep. I mean, he moves Sarich and ends up with the six pick in the draft for God's sakes. And so now if you could flip Covington, weirdly that Jimmy Butler trade would have paid hella dividends if you know if you can flip Covington into something very valuable because they certainly got you would agree the absolute maximum that you could ever imagine that you would get for moving Sarich sure absolutely I mean you're you're never getting a top 10 pick for a guy of that of that level of talent of course and and, you know 
with that said, of course, there's another pick involved in that too. The 11th pick, Cam Johnson. It wasn't just, you know, Sarge for the sixth pick, but point taken that you get more. It's essentially the, the domino effect of the trade that if Covington has moved for X amount of picks and a young player, well, then you're expanding on what you got on with that original trade. And I think Covington is the obvious guy to move, especially if you're somehow able to attach under the contract next to him, like Gorky Jang. But of course that complicates things. You may be better off just outright dealing Covington, but it speaks to the lack of wings and forwards available. Uh, you, you look around the league. I think Davis Bertans from the Washington Wizards is somebody who could be available, but maybe not. He's a 27 year old player. Washington has Bradley Beal, one of the 10 to 15 best players in the league. And you hope when John Wall gets back, if you're Washington, you're thinking next season, you want to start winning. Bertans might be a guy you view as part of that. Uh, Marvin Williams on Charlotte. Sham Sharania had first reported his potential availability. I've heard the same. Marcus Morris from the Knicks, somebody who could become available. Uh, Andre Godala, of course, is available from Memphis and will get traded, but there's not a lot of guys out there that you're going to be targeting. And I didn't mention Danilo Gallinari um, from Oklahoma City, but there's, there's a shortage of impact players for teams to target. And so Covington if he were to become available, would become a top option. And that, that could be a, a significant return for Minnesota. Because much like Iguodala, who you mentioned, his name's been out there quite a bit. And I know a lot about that situation. Covington, he gives you something to throw at these dynamic wings, especially if you're in the Western Conference. He can swing things more if he's in the West than if he's in the East because he's something that you can throw at Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and LeBron James. And you know that you need that. And that's exactly where the Iguodala thing is. And he could swing things. Certainly when it gets to playoff time, if it's not one of the LA teams, like imagine if you're Dallas and you'd mention them, imagine if you're Dallas and you could end up with them because my, my buddy, Chris Harrington, uh, who is a uh, writes for the daily Memphian in Memphis. He, he wrote this huge column about possible trades and one of them was like uh, Courtney Lee and the the Warriors' second round pick yeah. this year, which is going to be what like the thirty first pick, probably thirty first to thirty second. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right now, for what it's worth, it's the thirty second pick. Yeah, so I mean, that's a great pick. But imagine if you plugged in. Imagine that did happen, and you plugged in Iguodala in there in the middle of Luca and Porzingis. Like that is. That changes things. It just does, especially for playoff time. Changes sure. things. Um, Denver Nuggets, who have young assets, they're another one. If you could acquire, you know, like I said, an Iguodala on one end or a Robert Covington, this type of guy, you know, they didn't pay Malik Beasley. That didn't happen. Uh, Gary Harris has been a little bit disappointing this year. They've still got the Will Barton thing on there. Like, they've got a... They got a kind of a log jam on their thing where they could might find something that will help them more. And so one of these wings might be good for them. I, I, I think that you're right. There's going to be a real market for somebody that if you've got to battle these best teams, somebody that can really guard wings, right? Sure. And, and, that, and that's why, look, Lakers fans hope and want Iguodala to get bought out. He's not going to get bought out. I mean, I, I've been told by a lot of people in the league that Iguodala will get traded. There's, there's no world in which that he gets bought out. There will be a trade. There have already been conversations. It's just a matter of when it happens and for what. 
And naturally, your Grizzlies would want a first-round pick here. I'm not sure that's what they end up getting. Maybe that Dallas 30-second pick from Golden State is, could end up being the best offer. And even if it's a mid-second-round pick, 44th pick in the draft, they are going to take that before they end up buying him out and he goes to the Lakers. So he's a player that will get traded. Uh, and for someone like Dallas or Denver, like you said, Iguodala and players like him could be insanely valuable in a playoff series with their defensive versatility and their smart decision-making on offense. Yeah, you mentioned Kevin Love. Let's get to this first. The news reports that have come out in the last week, Sean Sarania's article that was on The Athletic, um, this, I don't want to say mutiny, but you have people coming out and really bagging on John Beeline. Oh my goodness, that was something else, wasn't it? Yeah, they have lost a lot of games which everybody knew they were going to lose a lot of games. This is twofold. Number one, if you're John Beeline, and look, who am I to criticize? But it just seems to me that when stories like this come out, that comes from the veteran side. Younger players, I don't want to say they don't know any better, but it's their first time through. And if you don't have veteran guys bitching about the way things are working and the way things are, are going, then it's a little bit different. And so I do think there's a miscalculation there where they've got their veterans. They haven't gone completely young where you probably need to be completely young and have some good veterans. You have, you have veterans that played in like the NBA finals. So, you know, they hate their situation and that's a disaster. Like the Cavs to me should have moved these guys in the off season and just said, we are going to be a young team that plans on being good in three years. And this is who we are building around. But when you've got a group of guys that's been there and has been in NBA finals and won rings, and now you have a guy that comes in there and is coaching a young team and teaching them how to pivot and teaching them how to make a correct pass and changing terminology and whatever else, those guys are just going to roll their eyes and be like, F this. And that's exactly what has happened. And I don't think it's that big a demerit to John Beeline, but rather the situation you're thrown in. Either go young, rebuild with good veterans that are excited to help you in that quest, or don't, you know, try to be good with the veterans again. But having the rejects of the old finals teams, along with a bunch of rookies and second-year players, any coach would be up against it with that combo in a locker room, I would think. Sure. And one of the things in that that report from Joe Varden and Sham Sharani on The Athletic that stuck out to me was <laughs> players not appreciating the wild animal names for the team screens cuts uh, on the court. Like, for example, they said a curl is called a polar bear and beeline system and and the anonymously quoted player said you don't go pro to do that kind of thing and it's like what i don't i don't understand something like that like what's the difference between floppy or horns and polar bear (laughs) nfl teams use goofy names for audibles at the line of scrimmage all the time there may be reason and logic behind beeline wanting to do this from his many many years and decades of being a successful coach at the college level I think this whole thing is simply some fed up veterans who want out. And we already know from my reporting, from others reporting that Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson want out of Cleveland. They want to play for a contending team. Of course they do. So yeah, of course they do. And logically at least one or both of those guys are probably one of the voices in this article because they're veterans and they aren't happy. They're losing. They want out. But the reasons for it happening 
it's just goofy to me that it's about stuff like that, where it's a it's a coach getting adjusted to the NBA who's had a lot of success. Beeline might suck as an NBA coach. I don't know. But I think he's somebody who deserves time and opportunity. And I guarantee the front office feels that way. It's just some of these players don't. And those players, so if you're Kobe Altman, general manager of the Cavaliers, those players should be gone. Anybody well, who I feels that yeah, way. I don't know why you thought that would work. Have you never been in a locker room before? Like these guys played on the biggest stage in the world. They're in the NBA finals, for God's sakes. They don't want to be losing every night. And of you course, knew yeah. you're going to lose every night. Like, you expected them to maintain a good attitude? Of course, they're going to be pissy and wish they weren't there. And then they're going to roll their eyes. And the problem is it ruins that coach for the young guys. Because the young guys, they don't look up to the coach. The young guys look up to the guys that have played in the NBA Finals. And you need those guys to have great attitudes. And so Beeline, if there's anything I would criticize, he didn't get those guys on his side. And that's what he should have done well, immediately. It, it's it's kind of hard when those young kids suck. Darius Garland has been one of the worst rookies drafted in the lottery. He's been horrible. Can't finish on the other rim. Can't draw fouls. Doesn't play defense. So it's like, yeah, you could say that he didn't get the young guys on his side, but the young no, kids. No, 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 no. The old guys. Oh, I'm oh, saying the okay. veterans. Okay. You need the veterans on your side sure. so that they're not going to the locker room saying this dickhead. Sure, but you know? it's hard to get the older guys on your side when the young guys aren't helping your case by overperforming or by performing well. Because this right. is a team, look, they were going to be bad no matter what, but I thought they would be a bit more competitive. I thought Garland would be better than he's been, and that hasn't happened. And that's one of the keys and why I think this team has not been good. I thought Garland would come in immediately and be an effective perimeter scorer who is a better playmaker than he's shown to be so far. That's not happened probably due to a lot of factors. The fact he hasn't played basketball in so long competitive basketball after getting hurt last year at Vanderbilt. Also just the fact he's an undersized guard. It's six, one skinny, small. It's hard to get adjusted quickly. Well, but I thought this team would have more fight and they don't have that. And here's the thing, Kev, I've been in a million locker rooms when that locker room gets poisoned. They play like a team that doesn't play for their coach right now. You know, they just do that. It turned on him. And so they've got to fix that quick. You know, as soon as, the 15th hits, I'd move them. I'd move those veterans and try to get the young guys in there. I had this happen years ago. There was a, there was a coach, Mark Ivoroni was a head coach, and there was a locker room. It had three Big East kids, Rudy Gay, Hakeem Warwick, and Kyle Lowry, no less. And those three turned on him. And once they, the young player, those three turned on him, it was over. No chance. Because you go in that locker room and they're like, he's a bozo, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, it was that once it became the locker room sediment that the coach is a bozo, it was over. You know, they had no chance. And so then everybody just starts trying to get their own numbers, right? Um, anyways, with that, you wrote about Kevin Love. You aligned him with Portland. This has been the easiest, makes most sense thing possible especially given, you know, his heritage there in Portland. Um, you wrote, though, which I, I found interesting, you mentioned he wants to be there. You've heard that? Yeah. Love's preference would be to play for Portland. But wow, he, of course, wants to play for a contender, period. Yeah. Portland just being home and the fact that, like you said, Chris, on paper, Portland makes too much sense. Well, it, it really, it really it, does. It, it's it made more sense before the mellow thing. 
It still makes sense now. This is, I don't think that changes anything necessarily. Unless you want to have the worst defensive lineup in the history of the NBA. Oh, I mean, what other choice do you have? You, you got to make a change. You got to make an addition here for when Nurkic comes back. Whiteside isn't negative as is. You got to find another guy. What that contract, the Whiteside salary expiring and or the Bazemore salary, which is also expiring. I think it's important for this team to maximize this year with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. If you can add another guy, you got a shot, man. You got a chance. The other guy that you mentioned in here, which I found fascinating, was J.J. Redick. And you wrote, but multiple executives believe New Orleans could be convinced to trade him for a significant offer. Look, J.J.'s got to keep that playoff streak alive, right? I know. I know. (laughs) He's been there every single season of his career. This is the most important thing in the article. Ringer's own, J.J. Redick. (laughs) Got to get him on a playoff team. You got to. Well, he could certainly change things for a team. Of course. He still remains a lethal three-point shooter. You know who should should trade for him? The 76ers. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. I I was thinking that, too. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't that be something? Did they trade it for him? One other team that I do want to ask you about that you mentioned in the article, which is a very fascinating one, is the Thunder, who I just mentioned to you, Schroeder comes off the bench and scores uh, 27, and they thump the Utah Jazz. This weekend, we have Chris Paul pulling the untucked jersey trick, um, and they get this crazy win against Minnesota. You know, the Thunder are kind of right there. They are that team that like certainly has a real playoff shot, but you write that you know Chris Paul, Danilo Gallinari, Steven Adams – all these guys uh, could be moved for a price. What do you think? Yeah, nothing's changed. They still would prefer to trade these guys. It doesn't mean they will. There is no rush in doing that. Oklahoma City is fine being where they are. And for them, they're slightly over the luxury tax. But as are reported in the article today, there's no urgency to get under the tax because that'll happen naturally in the coming years when those contracts come off the books. So they're not going to take less in a deal in order to get under the tax when that's going to happen anyway. But with Oklahoma City, my other thought with them, Chris, is Chris Paul making the plays that he has in these mundane early December games, I can't help but think this is further evidence that if you simply make the reward for the midseason tournament, that the wins count towards the regular season. That's all you need because guys are naturally competitive players. And Chris Paul, in doing what he did and notifying the referee of the delay of game with Jordan Bell's jersey being untucked, that is a guy who cares so much about winning in a quote unquote unimportant early December game. What does it mean if you turn that into a midseason tournament where the wins count towards the regular season, but there's also a trophy at the end and a cash reward? Guys are going to go hard, and I think it could end up being a success because guys are naturally competitive. So I couldn't help but think about that when I saw Paul Chris make that Paul trade. Is, yeah, though. Other, other guys are too, though. But he I mean, is a different breed. He, he wants he to is. win every time he's on a court. I know he is, but guys follow the leader, and yeah. Chris Paul is the leader of that team. The Look, it's... Chris Paul, I think this year he hasn't gotten enough credit for 
being the leader that he has in that locker room, I, I've heard how closely he's worked with Shea Gildas Alexander and helping him along and developing his skills. The energy he's brought to the floor on the defensive end and the little things he's doing on the offensive end. He's sacrificing more. He's not dominating the ball. Other guys are touching it. Chris Paul this year at Oklahoma City, a place that he did not want to be traded, a place that it was unexpectedly traded to. Good for him to perform the way he has in this situation. I think it says a lot about him as a player in this chapter of his career to, to play the way he has. Okay, let's say the price is too high on him, you know, because I know that there, there are those out there, and you have even mentioned this in the past, that his contract is so high, it's hard to envision a team that would be willing to give up enough and pay him the length of his contract. So let's just say that. Gallo and Steven Adams, which of those two players do you think could swing things more for a team if they did any up to lure one of those away from Oklahoma City? Oh, Gallo for sure. It's not even close. Gallo, a, a versatile offensive player, 6'10", can handle the ball, run pick and roll for you, a quality off-ball player as a cutter and as a spot-up shooter. It's unquestionably him. He, he might get picked on a bit defensively in a postseason setting, but I think he can at least survive on that end positionally. Steven Adams has not been good this year and doesn't look like himself. I, I, I would not expect OKC to trade Adams or Schroeder, but Gallinari seems like a safe bet to at least receive quite a lot of interest. Whether a deal becomes worth it remains to be seen. But I do think that Gallo is a guy that teams should be targeting and will target, and they have already had conversations about. I mean, Steven has average 11 points, 9 rebounds, 62% from the field. He's not himself defensively. He's not moving the same way. Yeah. Uh, still been productive, though. He has. So, yeah, I mean, Adams can always get Get a double-double out of your center who plays, you know, team defense. He can change things for you sure. in many cases. But, but he's also a $25 million salary, another tough guy to trade for. That's for sure. All right, last thing. The Rockets protest got denied because Adam Silver um, must have listened to me or he has an incredible brain like mine. And he deemed <laughs> he deemed that there was plenty of time for the Rockets to make up for the grave error in judgment that the referees made, which is exactly what I said last week. You tried to argue with me that the timing of it doesn't matter, but it does. And that's exactly what he said. There was ample time to overcome the error, which is the difference than if it happens in the last minute of the game. You know, they had tons of time. They had eight minutes and two overtimes to overcome the error. And so good for Adam Silver and justice. And I I expect an apology from you right now. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't I don't see what there is to apologize for, but I will say that you were right. I was wrong about that. I am also happy though that within that report, the league did say they disciplined the three referees for mishandling the quote unquote thirty second coaches challenge rule afterward. And they did say they're going to work on a new system to make sure something like this never happens again. Which were the two things I cared about most. The fact that this is something that doesn't happen again and that the system does improve. Houston not get winning the protest, that's unsurprising. That's very unsurprising. It would have really been something moving forward where if another team were to challenge down the line, the precedent would be set for Houston winning this challenge. So I, I think it's smart on the league to deny the challenge, but smarter for them to at least make sure something like this never can happen again because it shouldn't happen. We agree. After Bielitsa's game winner last night, the Kings tweeted out, protest oh, that. that was great. Is that funny <laughs> or is that out of bounds? It's funny. 
That's funny. How is that not funny? We agree. Shout why out to not, Kings. Why would that not be funny? That's social be, media. <laughs> that's not funny only to Rockets fans and Daryl Morey. That's it. Rockets fans have an incredible sense of humor, as I have learned. <laughs> oh, wait. Well, I mean, that's because you have poor taste. You're not into James Harden's game. It's very disappointing uh, to me, Chris. It's, yeah. why, it's one of my bottom five things about you is the fact that you don't like James Harden. <laughs> I would ask you for the other four, but I don't want to hear them. <laughs> Kevin, I will talk to you on Friday. <laughs> Have a good rest of the week, Chris. See, talk to you Friday. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mismatch, everybody. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes. Five stars, five stars really helps. And we will talk to you on Friday.